0: hello welcome to today's episode of juicing the numbers your statistics and sports podcast i am one of your hosts joshua tracy
1: and i am the other corwin heller
0: and uh, welcome to the show this week baseball is raring and going and moving um we have already had for the second no two second in the last three seasons uh, a yankee retire um before the first month of the season concludes as, uh, Jay Bruce this morning, Sunday morning, um, has apparently informed Aaron Boone and others that he plans on retiring after today's game. So the Jay Bruce run in New York, after a couple of stints with the Mets and now this stint with the Yankees is officially done. Um, yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a rocky ride here with the Yanks in the early goings. Uh, it's not been great. I'll get into that a little bit, I guess. But all in all, a 14 year long career for Jay Bruce is uh, it's tough to hang around for that long, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there has been so much talk this year, this season, about you know what he's failed to do with the Yankees. You know, his hot start at spring training is, you know, filling in for Luke Voigt while he's injured and, and what he'd be able to do, what he should be able to do, especially with the Yankees. You know everyone expects Yankees players and guys playing for the Yankees to perform at the highest possible level possible, you know, completely fulfill their expectations, their potential. And that's just not always the case, especially when you have played so many years in MLB. and um, you know, I saw your tweet earlier about, giving it his all going out in his own terms how rare that is for guys and and, uh you know i saw max was talking to you about it on twitter max greenfield and very much agree that you know that's a that's a high level take you know uh taking a step back from the situation taking a step back from your yankees fandom and you had a hell of a career you know all over the map and when you sit back and, and look at it, you know, in two years when people forget, oh, remember when he played like 15 games with the Yankees, 12 games with the Yankees, and you look at the entire career as a whole, you'll be, hey, that was pretty good. You could say, I had a good career. I, I'm happy with how my career turned out and not have any, any reservations.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, you hear a lot from players in Bruce's type of position, um, cause we, we literally heard this from the last Yankee to kind of do this exact same thing, which was Troy Tulowitzki, um, who said like, I just want my kid to have a memory of me playing in the bigs and that be it. Because, you know, you think about it, like you break into league when you're like 22 or some shit like that. Um, chances are you're not having a kid. Let's say you have a kid when you're like, I don't know, still pretty young. Let's say 26. Um, you know, that's gonna it's gonna take a few years for that kid to be old enough to really like have any memories in general, let alone specific memories of your career. Um, and so I you know, you hear from these dudes uh, you know, not infrequently. Jay Bruce was, who's only 34, um, which is you know elder for baseball, but young for a guy. Right. <laughs> you know, like Jay Bruce is only eight years older than me, which wow, he looks a lot more than eight years older than me that's fucking weird as shit um that's actually really weird now that i said it out loud uh Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but that's that's you imagine
1: retiring from your job in eight years
0: no oh my god it'd be great though
1: right uh like we both have well josh used to have a job he hates i currently have a job that i don't like i could put up with that job for eight years that's a long time if it meant retiring for the rest of my life
0: oh yeah um Man, sorry, I said it and I can't get it out of my head. It's so fucking weird. Um, But anyway, you know, Jay Bruce, who spent nine seasons with Cincinnati, three kind of seasons with uh, the Mets. He spent two years with the Phillies. He spent uh, a half a season with Cleveland. He spent part of a season with New York, and he spent uh, half a season with um, the Mariners. Van uh, just bouncing around a bunch. God, this guy got traded so much, which is kind of a good thing because it meant people wanted him. Um, But yeah, you know, it... First off, if you're a Yankees fan, there's no reason to give this dude shit, okay? And it, it bothers me so much. He had a decent enough spring training. We did not have a starting first baseman because Luke Voigt was hurt. Brian Cashman took a chance on a guy, which is like what his job is. And Jay Bruce showed up enough in spring training to make you feel like it was worth it. And if you're a Yankees fan, for one thing, it's just a guy trying to do his job. And for another thing, why aren't you a little bit happy instead of giving him shit? I mean, if you were really that upset with how he was playing, he just took himself out of the situation instead of forcing the Yankees to play him or cut him over the course of an entire season. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a guy who wanted to give his best shot before he, probably ended up hanging up the cleats at some point in the next couple of years anyway, and wasn't happy with his own results. You know, that's, that's fucking life, man.
1: Right. Like how can you blame a guy for realizing, Hey, I'm not playing up to my own expectations, let alone the expectations of the New York Yankees. I'm going to step aside, you know, let someone else come up, let another guy take place. Hey, it's not working out for me. I, I, I did my time. I, I had my career. I'm done. I'm happy. I'm content. No, you know, no need to hold on to this longer than I need to. And and then ha- build those regrets because you held on too long and didn't let go to, you know, spend time with your family, start other, you know, ventures, this, that, 10 other things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Garrett Cole ruined his perfect game with a hit by pitch on the back toe. Mm. Hate to see it.
0: Hey, don't you hate when perfect games get broken up in the second? Uh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Uh, Jay Bruce officially retires with 1,650 games played. Uh, He got uh, uh, 1,455 hits in his career, 312 doubles, 32 triples, um, which is actually kind of awesome, 319 home runs, 951 RBIs, just short of a 1,000 there. 65 stolen bases, his last one coming in 2019 when he started the season with the Mariners. Uh, 40 walks, 600 – sorry, 40 caught stealing, 600 walks, um, and 1,500 strikeouts. His career slash line officially in the books, 244, 314, 476. That is good for a 781 OPS for his career and a 108 OPS plus, um, which you know, league average hitter or better most of the given time. Um, his best year, being uh, well, his actually his best individual season, being his um, 2012 year with the Cincinnati Reds. He had an OPS plus of 121. In that season with a slash line of 252, 327, 514. That's an 841 OPS. Um, had a g- good stints with the Mets. Made some memories there. Refused to get traded, or the Mets refused to trade him to the Yankees during that time. Um, obviously, these last 10 games, Corwin, because you brought up the number and it had me curious, 10 games with the Yankees. was a little bit more contentious, especially since he didn't have great first base defense because not a first baseman um so hard to really blame him there uh but i think i think you know you put a little bit of time and distance between today and looking back on jay bruce's career or really most people who are looking at jay bruce's career today that just aren't shitty yankees fans um are going to look back at that pretty positively
1: oh yeah absolutely um you know my most memorable moment with him was uh Back when I was rooting for those Cleveland Indians, well, back when they were the Cleveland Indians, going on that twenty-two game win streak, and uh, he hit a he hit a walk off. I guess it would have been a double. I don't know how they would score, it, but walk off hit bringing a run bottom of the tenth to uh, bring in uh, the winning run, kept the streak alive. And you know, it's not World Series game. It's not a, a towering home run. But at the end of the day, it's it's a hit to be a part of one of the greatest streaks in all the sports. And that's special. That's like no matter what you do the rest of your career, that's a special moment. And that's something you hold on to. You know, you can go back. You can show those kids go through that streak. You could show them the documentary that'll come from it someday. And you say, hey, I kept that alive. I made that happen.
0: And I, and I very distinctly remember Jay Bruce really being a thorn in the side of Yankee pitching during the ALCS, ALDS that year against the, uh, you know, when he was with Cleveland against the Yankees.
1: Um,
0: yeah, yeah, that was very, and it was very annoying because every time he like did anything, everyone, all the commentators would be like, you know, the Yankees tried to trade for him this year at the deadline. And the Mets said, no, but I was just like, shut the fuck up. This hurts. Um, Interestingly enough, the Mets actually traded him twice, and I don't remember the first one. Um, so this is just I, just real quick. So he was playing with Cincinnati until 2016. In 2016, Cincinnati traded him to the Mets. And then in 2017, he started the season with the Mets and then traded him to Cleveland. And he finished out his season with Cleveland, got re-signed by the Mets in 2018, played 2018 with the Mets, and then in 2019, started the season... Um Oh, actually, no, no. He started the season with Seattle and then got traded to Philly. I thought it was he got traded from the Mets to Seattle. But either way, he got traded for from the Mets, got traded from the Mets, and then re-signed with, with the Mets after they traded him away. Uh, so he has three different Mets stints here. First one, 50 games. Next one, 103 games. And then 94 games. That's pretty fucking funny.
1: Absolutely, like just looking over his uh, baseball reference page, which when I googled Jay Bruce, it was a purple link, and I cannot tell you the last time I looked up Jay Bruce. Um, but two top ten MVP finishes in twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. I don't remember those years. I did not watch baseball then, but goddamn, that is that's also quite special.
0: I like. I remember those seasons, but I was. Very much so not paying attention to anything that was not New York. I was not a baseball fan yet. I was still just a Yankees fan and fuck. I do not like my recollection of Jay Bruce doesn't extend prior to a Mets uniform. So yeah, it's weird to see, you know, what these types of guys were earlier in their careers when you just like weren't fucking paying attention.
1: Yeah, very much uh, not when I was paying attention to baseball.
0: So speaking of baseball, baseball (laughs) you know one of the main things we talk about in this fucking show um there's been another uh conversation topic amongst yankees fans uh as it is often throughout baseball but it seems to be especially more so a conversation around yankees baseball this season than it is for most teams in a given season and that is lineup construction Mm -hmm. and the art science combination thereof of how you actually put together your lineup and what factors weigh into making those decisions. And the reason that this has come up a lot, especially with the Yankees here in the early goings, is that it seems as though every lineup has been different and it has been difficult to extract why. And a lot of the players aren't playing their best right now. So, I thought it might be an interesting exercise for us to try to construct our own lineups and with our own lineup rationales for why do what they do.
1: Why do what they do? <laughs> As the man with many problem with word makes sense to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're having fun. So uh, I guess let's, let's start at the top and i
1: john carlos stan
0: oh i love that man so much see you have a better setup because you can look up and down i have to go all the way over there
1: to do it oh no you sit in an actual chair at an actual desk with an actual mic set up but you have to turn your head sometimes it's no. really hard you know how much you know how
0: many calories get burned with this motion that could be spent doing other things
1: Sir, anytime I have to move any muscle whatsoever, it's like an earthquake going on with my screen. I'm <laughs> um, glad I, I did look. that. Nearly threw my laptop off the bed <laughs> and shattered it, but hey, it's worth it for You're the. You're gonna thing, do that you
0: know? and get some mild but also irreversible issue with your laptop?
1: No, oh, you mean yeah. like I already have with my screen, my <laughs> the camera that just fades like it's beaming me up in Star Trek. A headset that doesn't work on both ears. <laughs> this computer's not that old. It has seen some shit, and it's, I don't know why. I haven't mistreated it. I, I dropped it once, and it caused like six problems, and it's just been all downhill from there. Actually, you know what? I didn't drop it. I was up late. I didn't want to carry it over to my desk, so I put it on the floor next to my bed, and when I got up the next morning, I swung my feet over and just stood up on it. Oh yeah, it was rough. It was rough.
0: Yeah, that's that's not good. That's not how you
1: treat laptops. It's bad.
0: No, 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 no. But it was asking for it.
1: It was, yeah. Piece of the shit. The bitch
0: deserved it. Um. All right. So, Corwin, let's start with the leadoff spot. So, sure. typically, we're we're using the Yankees as a talking point. We're not literally trying to construct the. I mean, I guess in the sense we are literally trying to construct the Yankees roster, but it's a little bit more basing it around a conversation of where we expect these pieces to lie and where it makes intuitive sense for these pieces to lie. Because it's not as easy as just saying who hits good, put them high. There is a little bit more thought to it than that. Um, Who would have thought? Truly, who would have thunk it. So, Corbin, what's your impression? We talked about leadoff hitters in the past Mm -hmm. on the show, but what's your impression of the leadoff spot for you?
1: So I know historically it's always been – guy who has you know good speed good contact can get on base can you know possibly steal second get himself in scoring position for you know the heart of your order um in my mind though the guy I want at the top of the order batting leadoff, is just whoever I have doesn't need to be the guy with the highest on base percentage but I want you know as high as I can get while keeping my you know superstar big power you know big boy hitters at three four five so it's always gonna differ you know per team but i want guys who can get on base early on and you know over the course of a season get them as many at-bats as we can
0: and so so you're looking at on base percent yeah so That brings us to one of the first dichotomies within this choice that has been present amongst a lot of Yankees fans, and that is the choice between DJ LeMayhew and Aaron Hicks. Mm -hmm. The idea being DJ throughout his career has been a decent on-base percent guy because he has a high batting average, Mm -hmm. and Aaron Hicks being a decent on-base percent guy because he has a good walk rate. Uh, Career, just because I really don't feel like parsing this out by year, uh, career uh DJ LeMayhu has an on-base percent of 357 Aaron Hicks has an on-base percent of 331 so a difference of a little over 20 points it's there it's not huge but it's there um however if you look at their walk rates um DJ LeMayhu's walk rate career-wise is 7.4 Aaron Hicks's is 12.4 so if that 5 percentage point difference is actually quite large um, which also shows, conversely, in the batting average, DJ's career batting average 305, Aaron Hicks's career batting average 234. Now, who would you put there between these two dudes and why?
1: I personally would put DJ LeMayhew because, to me, the situation of leadoff hitter really... It happens once a game, if all things go well. Obviously it can occur multiple times a game where you start off an inning with your leadoff guy, but by all means that's only certain once. So the rest of the game, if you're in a situation where, you know, you have guys, you know, at the bottom of your order who are on base, possibly in scoring position, I'd rather have the guy come around, start off the order with the ability to hit rather than the ability to just take a walk um but at the end of the day I, obp is obp um i can understand why you in you know some cases would want a guy who's going to draw walks at the top you know you start off a game a guy's a little not in the groove yet little all over the place hasn't been able to rein it in might be more likely to give up a walk to start off the game than give off a hit who knows? That's just... All I'm saying is that there's options. I'd rather a guy who can, who can you know, put the the bat on ball, get on base, you know, through a, a solid hit. Because in my mind, I think he'd be a little more valuable throughout the course of a game rather than Aaron Hicks, who's just going to draw a walk, if anything. But we're boiling it down to just singular stats here.
0: Right. I I think another part of it is... One, working the count early and trying to drive a pitch count. And if you have a guy that draws a lot of walks, that guarantees at least four pitches to get a walk mm-hmm. because I'd love to see one that required fewer. I guess the intentional walk rule is literally to now just a finger point, but still. Um, whereas a hit could be one pitch. So I think that's one side of it there, depending on how much you value – that early work you make the pitcher do. The other thing, though, that would put the value on having the hitting guy first, which I believe is the way the Yankees are currently approaching the situation, is imagine you switched Hicks and Lemayhew and had Hicks leading off and DJ at batting third or whatever. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Pick a spot, doesn't really matter. Um, Let's say Hicks gets on with his walk, Who cares what Aaron Judge does? Let's say he strikes out, um, and then DJ hits a ground ball because he's a high-contact guy. And then Aaron catches Aaron Hicks in a double play because Aaron Hicks gets his on-base from non-contact plays a decent percentage of the time, those being walks, which you can't get a double play on. Mm -hmm. DJ gets his on-base percent from hits, which you can get a double play on. So if you put him batting leadoff with nobody else on base with his higher contact rate and being able to put the ball in play at such a high degree that he does, you are taking away the possibility of getting that double play to start off the game and instead, just using his on-base percent. That I believe is the rationale that they're using, which is fair.
1: It I, Makes a ton of sense. I get it.
0: Yeah, it really does. And obviously you take away the ability for DJ to get, um, those at-bats with runners in scoring position early in the game in the first inning, or second if he was batting beyond third, um, which I don't know why he would be. But anyway, you know, it, obviously you lose out, and we've talked about this before on the show too, you lose out having the chance for DJ to come up, you know, batting third with Hicks and Judge on and running some type of contact play to, or, you know, using his ability to gain contact to get a single and drive in, a a run from scoring position or something, but I believe that in the Yankees mind, the, the negative value of the double play outweighs the positive value of getting a hit with runners in scoring position with whatever frequency those two things would be happening. Um, so, uh, I really hate making this decision. (laughs) Mm. you know what just to be different from what you're going to do i'll say i'll bet hicks lead off get the uh get the higher pitch count um you know work the batter a little bit or work the pitcher a little bit Uh, i'm gonna put down I'm, i'm keeping track of our lineups i'm gonna put down dj at first base for now since that's what he is playing today and it's likely what he's going to be playing
1: when uh do we know when voids coming back
0: so apparently he's he started fielding ground balls again today um and he has a chance at hitting with the team on tuesday or swinging a bat on tuesday so all things lining up very very well for an early may return which was the original timetable
1: which i like that's good
0: yeah Uh, my fantasy team needs it i have nine injured players
1: I'm right there with you. It's fucking ridiculous. It's My bench naughty. is two people right now. Yeah. Like
0: literally two. Everyone else is hurt. Mm-hmm. I'm getting fucked. I'm getting <laughs> fucked. Anyway. Anyway. That's it. This is not, this is not our fantasy baseball <laughs> podcast. should be. Oh, it shouldn't be. I am not playing well this week. I'm doing very poorly, but anyway. Um, all right. So now comes the two hole. And, this is an interesting spot. This is where conventionally a lot of teams put their best hitter. The idea being you're going to get a ton of plate of appearances over the course of a season because you're batting so early in the lineup that, you know, with a conventional number of outs, you'll still get your plate appearances um, typically around at least four over the course of a game, whereas you wouldn't be getting quite as many if you were batting eighth or whatever, or even you know, fourth, you know, that's how the math is eventually going to work itself out. But, and I should say, you get the chance of coming up potentially with at least one person on. So if you have your best hitter up, who's got a good chance of hitting singles, doubles, home runs, getting yourself, you know, a good round hitter, they'll get the chance to do all those things with a person on base. So again, using the idea of the Yankees, Corwin, who would you put here and why?
1: I, so jumping ahead of myself here, I personally prefer to have my top hitter at three. Okay. That's, you know, that's what the Padres have been doing lately with, you know, Tatis. They're having it where they have basically their most consistent guy at number two with Jay Cronenworth right now. Um, I have been a big fan of that. Um, So I think. In my mind, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not as well versed on the Yankees as you are. I would argue, hey, let's put our most consistent guy at number two. Let's give our top guy a higher chance of having at least one guy on, a good chance of getting two guys on to really break open the first inning. Uh, in my mind, that's, you know, going to be, I don't think I'd put Judge here. I don't think I'd put Stanton here, obviously. Maybe this is a spot for Glaber. Maybe this is where we put Hicks on and say, hey, he could get on base as well. He's a really solid number two OBP guy. Let's get two guys on base and let the heart of our order take care of the rest. So in my mind, I'm leaning Hicks. Uh, What are your thoughts?
0: So conventional wisdom here, I think is where I'm still going to lie. So the concepts that I laid out for why your average team kind of runs it the way they do. I think I still like and agree with. Um, While you were speaking, I took the time to just find out um, how much the difference is between um, batting order and plate appearances. And it ends up being is that a home run or a foul ball? Foul ball. Foul ball. All right. Uh
1: Uh- <laughs> Did you see my facial reaction? We're like, I'm gonna look over here now.
0: No, 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 no. I, 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 I just been trying to glance back and forth.
1: <laughs> you great just get a mirror, just at an angle, shows. just to have it yeah. perfectly be like right there.
0: Yeah, one of those ones that they have around like traffic bends and shit. Yeah. Or just
1: mount a TV behind your monitor.
0: I could. Well, just a I- really tiny one. I don't know if anybody can, can tell in the background, there's usually artwork over, over here, but it's all gone because we're moving out and it, I can like feel how empty the space is now. Mm. It's weird. So, and if, in a couple of weeks, this podcast will have a whole new background, which as of right now, the main background is just darkness. Um,
1: uh-huh.
0: anyway. Um, so anyway, each batting position or position in the batting order, I guess, uh, is worth about 15 to 18 extra plate appearances over the course of an additional season um, is what I am kind of finding. So if you are getting, if you're batting uh, second chances are over the course of a 162 game season, or, you know, whether or not you end up playing all those games or not, you'll be getting 15 fewer at bats than um your counterpart batting first you'll be you know if they're getting i don't know 650 at bats you might end up getting 635 and if you're Mm -hmm. batting third you'll end up getting somewhere around 630 and so on and so forth down the line um how much that matters i have no fucking clue Obviously if you're good, you want to be batting more. How much does 15 plate appearances matter over the course of a 600 <laughs> plus plate appearance season? I have no fucking clue. That sounds like a lot it of math possible. I don't feel like doing. Yeah.
1: Um 15% divided by 6. That's not a lot. It, you know. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I I I just couldn't tell you. At this uh, point though, I'll
1: do it just just for argument's sake. That is point 0 five
0: percent So, here, let me – you know what? Let's run it this way. I have an idea.
1: Sorry, 0. 0.025. So, a quarter of 1% difference in plate appearances.
0: Let's assume, because we love assuming, uh, that you hit a home run
1: mm-hmm.
0: all 15 times. Every – Every every additional plate appearance he would have gotten. So that's 15 more home runs. That's uh, 4,000 points of OPS per home run. All right, hold on. I'm trying to find. Let me. Uh, let's go to. Let's go to. Let's go to Aaron Judge's um stat page. Let's see if I can just shoehorn in those additional um 15 home runs. And let's use his uh, 2019 stats here. So first, let me do his normal um, slugging. I'll start with slugging. So he had in that season, uh, fucking God, let me highlight it. So this is easier for myself. Okay. So he, what's up?
1: If you were going to keep going, I was just going to talk a little bit. If you have it, go right ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, I got it. So he's got – he had 18 doubles, so you take 18, multiply it by two because a double is two bases. That's how your value is going to end up working out. Yep, he had one triple, so we're just going to add three. Uh, And then he had 27 home runs that season. I'm not going to touch that yet uh, just so that we can make sure that we're using correct math by, you know, uh, (laughs) trying to get the right number first. And then let's just add in um, the difference between all of those hits and his hits total to get um, his singles. So that's a 19. So that's 46. That's a 57. So plus 57. And then we'll divide that by his number of at bats, which was 378. And I got 540. They have 540. Beautiful. Okay.
1: Aaron so Hicks now just had two grounding errors, quote unquote. I don't think either of them will be count. Maybe one will be counted as an error, but he just missed two balls.
0: Damn, sorry, Hixie. I forgive you.
1: I don't... He's, he's had
0: a rough start to the season, but he's also been getting hosed. Anyway, so now I'm going to go back to Aaron Judge's 2019 stats, and I'm going to add in 15 more home runs. So now he's going to go from having 27 home runs to having uh, 42. All right. And we're going to add 15 plate appearances to it. So he had uh, 447. So now he has 462. So that's a 571 OPS that would also be adding, um, 15 more hits to his um, on-base. So hold on real quick. I have Excel up. I just want to write down this number so I don't forget it. Uh, Okay. Cool. All right, so now let's just adjust his um, on-base percent. So we'll be adding 15 more hits. That's 118. Uh, yep, 118 hits. I will hits. say
1: I find nothing more riveting than listening to someone do math. Ooh, that just gets I, me going.
0: I honestly mm, love this type, yeah. of, this type of shit, though. Like, if I was listening to this, I'd actually be very interested in hearing what happened next. But anyway. And that's
1: why you're our only listener. Yeah.
0: Yes, sir. So divided by 378 plus his number of walks, which is 64, plus Don't his number of pitches, to three, plus his sacrifice flies, which was one. Okay. All right. Okay, so would you like to hear Aaron Judge's new OPS for 2019? Sure. Okay, so in 2019, his OPS was uh, 921, and if you gave him uh, 15 more at-bats and he homered in all 15 of them, uh, his OPS would rise to 986. So he would tack on 65 additional points of OPS, assuming he came up in an additional 15 at-bats and homered in every single one of them. Okay. So we're going to call that basically the maximum value add of sure. those 15 plate appearances. The maximum value add is somewhere around 65 points to your OPS, which that's, that's not nothing.
1: Right, because you're hitting 15 home runs.
0: Oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. That, that's It's unrealistic as shit. Chances are. All right, so let's see. What was Aaron? Do I have Aaron Judge's home run rate? Uh, hold on.
1: I don't let's think we should sit here and just go through and just be like, all right, let's see what he would, what happened if he hit 10 home runs and 15 plate appearances or
0: well, no, five no, no. home
1: runs and plate appearances.
0: We don't even need to do that. We don't even need to do all that. We just say, you know, I, I know what I, it's not immediately obvious where it is and I really don't feel like searching too hard for
1: it. And also why didn't we do that in the first place?
0: Cause we didn't know we'd be going down this road. Oh no no no! Because I wanted to know was you know because if he's hitting home run at um, I don't know, ten percent of his plate appearances ended a home run, which that's way too high. Actually, I can do now that I said it out loud. I can do this number very very easily by just taking the number of home runs he hit and dividing by his plate appearances. I don't know why I didn't just do that. Um, Oh god, I hate myself. So uh, we'll do with his at bats. So do we? Fuck you. I'll, I'll do plate appearances because that's the that's the goal here. Um so six percent. So if he um had fifteen extra plate appearances, uh he'd hit one additional home run.
1: What he wouldn't hit fifteen?
0: What no, no, he would not. But if you took that uh you know sixty-five additional points um of whatever, whatever, whatever <laughs> of OPS and then <laughs> And then divided it by, by one over fifteen. Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, it really doesn't you? matter. No, if you if, if you multiply it by one over fifteen, you get like it's going to be just like eight points on his OPS. that's um, so how I'm gonna ration it out or reason it out. Oh god. <laughs> I I I've lost myself now. <laughs> So anyway, anyway, we're still talking about the number two spot, if you can believe it. I, yeah. I, I still.
1: <laughs> so in my mind, what I, what I was going to say earlier is when you're looking at it from that perspective and you're looking at, you know, where Aaron Hicks can be most valuable and where his walking ability, where his on base percentage can be most valuable, is that more valuable to have him? on base in front of Aaron Judge, in front of Gleyber Torres, in front of Giancarlo Stanton, or in front of Clint Frazier, Rufnet Dor, Gary Sanchez, Kyle Higa. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I so is it you. more valuable to have him in front of guys who can drive him in or get a walk in front of the eight, nine hitter who probably aren't going to be doing much with their plate appearances versus having him on base when you have your power guys up so that's what in my mind why I want to have those on base guys early before you get the the heart of your order rather than trying to squeeze 15 more plate appearances 30 plate appearances out of you know stay and judge Gary Glaber whoever you want to put there um just I think that would more maximize that, walkability that on base ability uh comparatively
0: so i think that the concept that the yankees are running with here is they have it structured where it's like lead off guy two hitter lead off guy two hitter it was what i think they're kind of going for where you have a guy that gets on base a lot then you got a guy behind him that can do damage and then you have a guy that gets on base a lot and then you got a guy behind him that can do damage and then the lineup is how it looks like it's structured in my mind. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I, I get your point. I, and that's part of, you know, why we're kind of talking about it because it's, it's, it's an interesting way to run it. And I think I've decided I would do something a little bit different I think I would put Giancarlo Stanton too. Okay. And I think I would do it. Oh, you know what though? Actually, I really see why they did Aaron judge. Uh, All right. I'm actually going to keep judge because at first I was my idea before I pulled up their fan graphs pages and actually looked at them was in my mind. Giancarlo Stanton strikes out more than Aaron judge at a on a rate basis. Not that it matters, but if we're talking about minimizing the amount of damage that can be done um in terms of negative consequences from balls in play, you'd want a more three true outcomes guy, but that actually is Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge strikes out at a higher rate than Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge 31.2 to Giancarlo Stanton's 28.1, and Aaron Judge walks more than Giancarlo Stanton, 15.4% of the time versus Giancarlo Stanton's 11.6% of the time. So Aaron Judge actually is the better three true outcomes guy, which means there is a better chance that whatever happens to Aaron Judge won't impact the runner on first, assuming you got that, which in a negative way, I should say, which is good, because if he's going to make an out, there's a 30% chance well, I guess there's a higher than thirty percent chance, since we're, the percentage is based off of his um, at bats. But regardless, um, there is a high percentage chance that his outs are going to be generated from strikeouts instead of ground balls or fly balls that might somehow end up resulting in a weird double play. Um, so, actually, I do get that. So, I'm going to leave Judge there at two. Where, what, who, who are you locking in for your?
1: I'm locking in Hicks for mine.
0: Okay. All right, so now let's talk about the three-hole. And this has been a a hotly contested position in the Yankees lineup because they have been batting Aaron Hicks here. And Yankees fans are confused as to why. I think, based on sheer guessing, is that the reason they have him there is what I just kind of described. It pertains to what the Aaron Judge phenomenon a little bit as well in that Hicks has a high walk rate which means that if there is someone on base, there is a lower percentage chance based on his um, odds of hitting the three true outcomes that he ends up doing too much damage to that guy. He's got a 12.4% walk rate and a 21% strikeout rate. So there is, you know, a 33% chance that he doesn't hit the ball into play, which is fine. But, uh, I don't really know how I would want to quantify this position, though, in my mind. I want to hear your rationale. Who would you put here and why?
1: I want my best hitter at three. So, you know, for me, this is going to be in all likelihood. uh, Aaron Judge, for the reasons you just said previously, for, for what you were thinking, for two, lower strikeout rate, higher walk rate. Yeah, he doesn't have. Quite the same, you know, contact to power that Stanton does, but at the same time, you know, the way I'm going to have it is I'm going to have three and four as my top two guys for you know pure hitting and hitting with power, I should say. So I'm going to have Judge and then Stanton there rather than Stanton before Judge, um, as my three four, and just all right, if Judge walks. There you go. He's on base. You got three guys who can get on base right there in front of you. I'm just trying to maximize the amount of damage that those power hitters can do. Um, So I'm putting Judge there um, at three.
0: So. As much as I get what the Yankees are going for. I think I'm going to put Stanton here. And I think. I think part of the reason that they have Hicks there in their mind or typically what they've been doing, and I think that's what they did with this game too, I think Hicks was was the three-hitter in this game too, Um, is here's three dudes in a row that can walk very effectively. And so you don't want to pitch around them too much. Mm -hmm. The hard part for that, though, is that Hicks isn't a huge power hitter and just doesn't have the same odds of doing the same types of damage that Stanton and judge do. And there's going to be some Yankees fans that hear that, that love Aaron Hicks the way I love Aaron Hicks. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? Aaron Hicks can absolutely hit home runs. Absolutely. Aaron Hicks can hit home runs. Absolutely can.
1: So the type of, yeah,
0: yeah, but the type of power that Aaron Hicks can generate is not exactly comparable to the type of power that Aaron judge and Giancarlo Stanton can generate. And I think with, Having those two guys be back to back, they can actually layer as a little bit of protection for each other. This is part of the uh, um, Miguel Cabrera phenomenon, which is where he uh, has derided Detroit in the past couple of seasons himself, saying that he has no protection in the lineup um, and pitchers can either pitch around him and just kind of give him nothing to hit Um Or challenge him in a little bit of ways, because even if he does get on base uh, in some lesser type of fashion, then there's no one behind him that they really have to care about, which he's right about, Um, or has been up until the past uh, couple seasons. Akil Badu, Akil Badu. But anyway, I think I'd actually put Giancarlo Stanton here, because if we're going to say that Aaron Judge has a low percent chance of fucking with the guy at first, assuming our leadoff man got on why not go with that The guy right after him that could do a lot of the same things judge could do? You know, I, I get the idea that there's still the double play possibility that would take the runner on first out. But at the same time, I think by offering judge some protection in the lineup and by taking a bit of a risk on guys who can generate such hard contact, I, I, I don't, I understand the downside there in that you might be risking letting the four hitter come up a little bit more frequently than the, he might otherwise do so. But I think by giving the opportunity for power to be present in a impactful way, there's just a benefit that outweighs the cost there in my mind anyway. Um, So I'd actually put Stanton here, but I think we're, we're going for similar things you and I with this one.
1: Right. So uh, your lineup so far.
0: All right. So for you, it's DJ LeMahieu leading off playing first, Hicks batting second in center, and then Judge batting third in right. I have Hicks leading off in center, Judge batting second in right, and Stanton batting third and DHing. Okay for the defensive positioning cord and I are just using the defensive positioning that these players have most commonly. I'm only keeping track of it to make sure that we don't weirdly like double down on the positional group. I'm not sure how we would, but I just want to make sure right. we didn't.
1: I mean, I think we're going to have fairly similar, you know, when, well, cause it's not when healthy. Cause I don't think you're including Voight in this. I'm not thinking of Voight not when voice. Yeah. So I think we're just going to stick with the lineup that we got yeah. essentially today.
0: All right. So then that being said, we got the four spot here. This is traditionally the big boy power hitter spot. The idea I think likely being from old school baseball, hey, if everybody got on this motherfucker could hit a grand slam. Um which boy is that optimistic. Um <laughs> but anyway, what's what's your impression of the four hole and who you putting here?
1: Again, it's it's a power guy but for, you know, I'm not going for grand slams. I mean, I'm a Padres fan, so obviously I want to see Slam Diego appear in every game, but in my mind, it's a guy who can do serious damage with the bat and who can also hit at a very high level regardless. You know, not selling out for power kind of guy. Um I mean, I've already said I'm, I'm going to have Stanton here. Part of that is to you know, like you said, protection for, for Judge, having both of these guys back-to-back. If you get one of the three guys in front of him on base, okay, you have a base runner for him to utilize his power, you know, and at the end of the day, if all three guys get out in front of him, leading off the next inning with a, a Giancarlo Stanton, he's not hurting you there. He's still going to be able to hit hit dangerously and, and drive in runs with the way you want a John Carlos Stanton to do. So I'm having Stanton here at four.
0: I'm with you. That is the traditional role for the four hole. Mm-hmm. I, I have constructed my lineup with guys who have a lot of power and on base ability in the first three spots here. So this is where I'm going to put DJ LeMay, my ball mm-hmm. in play guy. Because the idea here being that, you know, these are three guys who all have an over 30% chance of getting on base with their over 300 batting or on-base percentages. Um, And assuming, you you know, you get even one of them on, I want the guy who's got a good odd of getting the hit for the RBI. I once again... Understand that there is certainly some high-level math that we don't have access to nor feel like doing, um, assuming we have the capability. Mm-hmm. That might show how we are wrong for taking maybe a bit, or at least I am wrong, for taking a bit for granted how severe the negative consequences of, the, of any potential double play situation may be. However, we're seeing how the current Yankees roster is handling the double play situation, and it is but. So... Um, As much as RBI is a made-up stat that nobody should care about, at the same time, having the ability to actually drive in runs with a hit is just more likely than driving in runs through a walk. I mean, one requires a guy on second base and nobody else being on base. One requires the bases to be full. So I want the guy who is likely, (sighs) based on batting average, Mm -hmm. to get a hit, and I think that's going to be DJing. I want traffic on the bases and guy you can actually move them around a little bit here. Um, is the rationale great? Nope. But that's what I'm going with. Absolutely. So I'm putting DJ here at the four hole. Cool. So that brings Number us five. to five. So so four, five, six is what is often considered the heart of the order. So these are, we're now entering the guys who are not your best hitters, but these are guys you still kind of need to rely on in order to keep The game moving along for your offense momentum right these these can't be automatic outs even if they're not your best and brightest um not to make them sound dumb but (laughs) anyway um so corwin what's your impression of five and who you slotting in
1: uh you know it it really is just like you said i want to have basically a the top of the order one and two, I want to have high on base percentage. The rest of the way is pretty much OPS working its way down guys who can get on base, who can hit with power, just the best hitters as high as I can. And then working my way down till seven, eight, nine, which in all honesty is our guys. I, I really don't have a whole lot of expectations on or with, unless it's an incredibly deep lineup. So, for number five for me i want to have glaber torres here i want a guy who has a you know a fairly good on-base percentage i think his career is like 340 um i just looked it up yeah 340 career on-base percentage 339 this year he also has a career three or four four oh god career 484 ops or slugging i should say That's a guy I want there. You know, at this point, it's for me between Gary and Glaber. I want Glaber leading ahead of Gary. I want him to get on base. I want him to also be able to hit with power. So I'm going to have Glaber here. And spoiler alert, Gary's going to be not far behind.
0: Yeah, so you've... I think you've got to assume at this point that you are in a new inning. And that's right. part of how you're going to, you you were a fool if you were going to construct a lineup, assuming all nine people hit every inning. So at some point we have entered a new inning. And I think to that effect, going with on-base percent here at five is a pretty reasonable assumption. Because if you assume you went one, two, three in the first, that means your second inning is going to be four, five, six. This guy's batting second. If you assume that you only made it four batters through in the original uh in the first inning, that means that this guy's batting first. He's leading off. And if you manage to get three guys on, that means that this guy's coming up in the first to bat. So no matter which way you shake it, this spot's important because he's either one of your last best chances in the first inning, or he's a guy that you need to actually generate something to happen here for you in the second inning, which is still a really valuable inning because you still need to make work happen for the pitcher to give the second guys, the second time through the order guys, a chance of doing a little bit more damage as the pitcher gets more and more into their outing. So I think I do.
1: I will say, I, I don't think we should ever focus that much on innings and who starts what inning the rotation through the inning or, or the lineup through each inning, because you can assume you go one, two, three, you can assume you get a hit or two. You can assume this, that, and 10 other things. I mean, it's baseball. At the end of the day, this is so chaotic. When's the, How consistent is it that you see lineups go through their order in order for each inning? You know, it's so all over the place. Anything can happen. I don't think we, should be putting a tremendous amount of weight, much, if any, on, okay, let's plan this, you know, like he's going to be the second guy up in in the second inning or or things like that, because you'll never know. So I think, yes, you can never assume you're going to have nine guys go through an inning that never happens. Uh, It does, but at such a small amount that it's it's not a, a meaningful statistic. Yeah. Yeah, I said my piece, made my piece. Fuck, I said what I had to say. I made I my know what piece. You mean. Yeah. I said my piece. There we go.
0: My point with this was that no matter which mm-hmm. situation you do assume, five is an important slot. Correct. Right. Um, actually, and we will touch a little bit on what you said when we get to eight and nine and how you feel about those two spots, but we'll get there. So regardless, five should still be a very good hitter for you. For one, it's just good to have the type of depth where you're not five guys in your batting order and saying, oof, this guy sucks. Um, (laughs) But again, this is a person who's going to come up in in meaningful at-bats pretty regularly. Um, And to that effect, I'd probably also put Gleyber Torres here for the exact reasons you said. Um, this is a guy that has a career 340 batting average that, or sorry, um, on base percentage, which is the highest of what we have remaining for the um, this current iteration of, of the Yankees team. Um, in addition, he's got a career 120 uh, WRC plus since I'm here on fan graphs now. Uh, and while there are other players in the Yankees that have good on base percentages, they're on their WRC pluses might end up suffering because of the types of hitter that they are. Um, so, I, I too am going to stick Glaber Torres here playing shortstop.
1: I don't want him there, but he's there.
0: It's what they got. (laughs) It is what they got. All right. So that brings around the six hole. This is the last position in what is considered the heart of the order. So Corwin, um, I think you've already tipped your your hand a little bit here, but tell me about the six-hole for you.
1: Yeah, I've been tipping my pitches the whole whole podcast. Uh, I'm putting Gary here. You know, he's the last I want to say dangerous guy in the Yankees lineup right now. I mean, I know Clint Frazier's there, but I think he's still too young, till still too early in his development to to really consider him a, a meaningful, you know, you know, heavy hitter kind of guy. Gary with you know Judge Stanton Glaber all ahead of him. He's a guy who can absolutely hit for power. We've all seen it. Has a fairly good on-base percentage career, like three twenty-two. Um, uh, it's an easy spot to slide him in there.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go much the same. I'm I, I was waffling between Gary or Geo because. So far in the early goings of, I guess it's not even the early goings anymore. So far in Gio Urshela's Yankees career, he's been a high average hitter, which is odd um, because he just hasn't been elsewhere. But in his first season with the Yankees, he hit 314 in 2020, he hit 298 and 2021 so far. He hasn't been that great. Well, that doesn't matter. Um, Now, While that is only batting average, looking over at his WRC plus, he's had a 132 and a 133 in his first two full, you know, with little air quotes, seasons with the Yankees. And that's great. So he gets on base with the hit and he does enough damage with, with those hits and with um, his slight ability to walk. Um, He has a career 6.2. Walk percent, but last season he showed a lot of promise, walking ten point three percent of the time. So it depends on how much you believe in a potential Gio Rochello walk um, surge. But anyway, um, I'm tempted to actually put him here, but I also don't like the idea of Gary being so far back because his power, under the assumption that he can actually get um, get into the batter's box with players on base, I think is a nice looking threat. And it might actually be good having somebody who has shown as much flash as Gio has been batting behind him for a little bit of protection there. So I think I'm also going to go Sanchez here. Mm-hmm. Which then brings us to the seven hole. So now we're in the bottom of the order. This is like, if you watch hockey, this is your fourth line. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if if you watch football, this is your second stringers. But guys you rely on, you know, mm-hmm. this is your backup left tackle. You need that guy. You don't necessarily expect too much from that guy, but you need that guy
1: or your backup right tackle. This is, right is your backup runner. running back. This is your number three wide receiver, your number two tight end, you know, guys who play meaningful snaps to some extent, but at no point you're going to say, hey, the game's in your hands.
0: Right. I, I think our, our – um, fourth line comparison is the most appropriate Mm -hmm. just because that's a guy you expect to go out there and not fuck it up. You don't need them to go out there and score you a goal um, necessarily, but you really just need them to not be so uncompetitive. Yeah. yeah, That the other team just storms, just spends the entire period or entire shift in, in your end.
1: Right. They're the checking line. They're there, you know, Defense, they're there, you know, physicality, they're there to fucking not fuck it up because they fill the lines. Yep.
0: And that's what this, you know, this bottom of your order is for. Obviously, do you want them to to be productive? Yeah, no shit. You want everybody on your team to hit a home run every single at bat. We get it. Obviously. You also have to, though, build in expectations for what these players actually can produce. So,
1: no, I want to see a triple every at-bat.
0: Corwin wants a triple every at-bat. That is yeah. fair. Um, So, that being said, let's talk about the bottom three positions here now. Corwin, the seventh spot, who do you got?
1: At this point, I mean, we're looking at, we have the same three guys left. We got Gio Urshela, we got Clint Frazier, and we have Odor. that bearded guy uh, who no longer has a beard. It's obviously not going to be Odor, so it's Gio and it's Clint and it's okay do you want to put geo and his good batting average after gary do you want to put clint and his power behind gary or and like who do you want protecting who so in my mind if you put clint after gary you would protect him with geo but at the same time you're kind of wasting geo a little bit whereas okay you can put geo in front of clint you could hopefully get a guy on base with clint coming up you know you could have gary there you could have glaber on doesn't matter like we talked about it who knows how it's going to roll i'm leaning having geo first and you know leaving clint there a little bit more open in the eight hole rather than having geo kind of wasted as just protection for clint frazier so i'm going to put geo there at at number seven
0: i am going to save us a little bit of conversation and say that i'm doing the same yep okay so that's going to bring us to the eight and nine spots now there are two different rationales for what happens in the eight and the nine spot Mm mm-hmm and it just depends on how much you give a shit about this philosophy. All right. So, the idea number one eight is the better hitter, nine is the worst hitter. End of story.
1: You want eight to have more plate appearances than nine, and you're going to give the better hitter more plate appearances than the worst one.
0: Right. The other idea is that you treat nine as the second leadoff hitter which is to say, basically, it's a stupid saying because it's not really what it should mean, but basically what what the idea is is that I want a better odd of, as we're going through the game, the nine-hitter being on base so that when the one-hitter comes up, he has somebody that he can potentially drive in, whereas I'd have a worse... So I'd put my better hitter at nine because then depending on how the innings shake out, you know, with the outs or whatever, I just got a good shot of having those two hitters back to back so that the inning can't end with, you know, the better hitter getting on and then the true non-hitter getting an out. And now the leadoff hitter is just leading off with empty bases or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. So where do you stand in, in that argument? And then therefore, who would you put here?
1: There are certain teams with certain lineups where I can understand the rationale of wanting, you know, a guy at nine who would act as a second leadoff hitter who, you know, where if you don't have a black hole named Rudinador on your team, you could move guys around and and move around their skill sets so that you could have a high, you know, OBP guy at number nine. But seeing as Odor is just fucking utter garbage, Clint Frazier not being so, I'd kind of want him to follow up the Gary, follow up Gio Urshela, have a, a much higher chance of himself doing something meaningful with his bat rather than just hoping he can get on base so that, you know, in, in my case, uh, DJ LeMay or Aaron Hicks can do something there. So I'm putting Clint at eight. I want him to get more at bats. I want him to get the ability to do damage with his bat, rather than shoving a door there, hoping he can just stay alive, and then letting Clint be the number two leadoff.
0: Yeah, I I am with you. So so for for five through nine, we've had the exact same lineup. But I, I'm with you here on it. This that the. The argument for the second leadoff hitter is most commonly heard in my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, there's like a word for like when you, when you only, when you're speaking from experience and not from data.
1: Oh, you uh, know what I'm talking about? Um,
0: Fuck, it is right on the tip of my goddamn tongue.
1: Does it start with the T?
0: I have no idea. <laughs>
1: like your own personal testimony
0: yeah it's not that oh Uh god
1: how does it feel josh welcome to the club
0: this happens every day um but anyway i mostly hear it i think as a conversation around national league teams and where do you put the picture it's not uncommon to see pitchers slotted into the eight hole even though they are invariably worse than literally whoever is batting ninth um, and that—that that is the basic idea here is that we don't want for some reason the pitcher to be leading off an inning and there's a couple of reasons why you might not want the pitcher leading off an inning um, you know because if you have your starter there and you got a but we need runs do you leave him in if your starter is there and you want him to? You want to take him out? Do you let him bat? You know he's at a hundred pitches, but do we pinch hit now or whatever? I don't know. I don't really pay attention to National League roster situations that much. I don't give a shit. But that's where you end up hearing it a lot. So I don't think it applies, fucking most of the time. Um, so I'm going to do what you're going to do by putting Rugi at ninth and Frazier at eighth because I'd rather assume that whoever's coming up at eight had someone between six through seven on base for them. Like think about the leverage of the situation. Would you rather be banking on somebody being on base for eighth and you have a potential to drive in a run? Or would you rather be banking on one in your lineup coming up with a guy on maybe, and then, you know, assuming that you eight's just going to fuck it up and let that shit end or whatever it, no, like we had good hitters five through seven. Like, let's assume they're going to do something somewhere along the line and give eight a chance to actually have an accomplishment rather than just be fodder for one and two or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with what you're going with. So that means that our lineups, I'll start with you, is DJ uh, leading off Bat uh, playing first, Hicks, at uh, batting second, hit playing center, Judge in right, batting third, Stanton DHing, batting fourth, Torres uh, at short, batting fifth, Sanchez catching, and batting sixth, Urshela batting seventh, playing third, Frazier playing left, batting eighth, and then batting ninth at second base, uh, Rugnet Odor. Now, there's one other – oh, sorry, and then mine. Sorry, mine is uh, Hicks in center leading off Judge, batting second, playing right. Stanton DHing, pl- batting third. Batting fourth is DJ playing first. Torres at short, he'll bat fifth. Sanchez catching, batting sixth. Batting seventh is Gio Rochella at third. In left field is Clint Frazier, batting eighth, and then batting ninth. Rugnet Odor playing second base. Uh, so, first off, Corwin, what do you think of these two lineups we got here?
1: Fairly similar. I mean, like you said, five through nine is the same lineup, one through four different approaches, but at the same time, you know, we have Judge right before Stanton. We have LeMahieu right, you know, to an extent before Hicks. It's just, do we want Hicks before the two tower, Uh, before uh, Judge and Stanton, or after Judge and Stanton? That's the only difference. Um, So, at the end of the day, I think they accomplish very similar things with you wanting to get guys on base a little more spread out. And I kind of want to front load those OPP OBP guys. So at the end of the day, I think if we ran a, a hundred and actually, this is, might be able, to, this might be something that we could do. We could run a simulation for these lineups and see which produces more runs at the end of the year through yeah, 162 did, uh, games
0: out of the park 21
1: you talk for a minute i'll be i am going to do some research here
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> uh because that is uh, basically what that game is like all about um The only other thing that Corwin and I haven't talked about is the right-left situation here. Now, the Yankees as a team are very righty-heavy. Their only left-handed or switch-hitting bats are Aaron Hicks, who is a switch-hitter, Rugnet Odor, who bats left, and um, Brett Gardner, who bats left. As it stands right now, Jay Bruce is still listed in the depth chart because he has not... Yet, retired is retiring after this game. Um, after he does, he'll be replaced by one of Tyler Wade or um, Mike Ford, who are both lefties. And then Mike Talkman is also on the bench, who's a lefty. But there's only two. Only two of those guys are in the starting lineup on a consistent basis. And there's been a question over this season, especially because of part of the, part of this has been around the roster construction. Because Jay Bruce was very frequently finding himself batting like sixth, and it was weird. Um, And then Aaron Hicks batting third. Part of that conversation was we have to split up the righties, and part of Bruce batting sixth was we've got to split up the righties. And it's something I just don't care about. And you know, I I'm sure again that there's a science there or there's a math there that works out. But and I mentioned this as as a passing remark previously. in in a different episode, I should say. If you're going to have the free agent and trade strategy that handedness doesn't matter, the results matter, contact rate matters, heart hit rate matters, um, launch angle matters, sprint speed, whatever, regardless of handedness, then you should not care what your handedness is in the lineup. Because in theory, if you spend all of your time acquiring these dudes, because of their ability to hit in a vacuum, then why all of a sudden do we care about how they hit in regards to handedness when it's time to actually situate them within a lineup? I don't get that. And the thing is, I so much so agree with the trade and free agent strategy that the Yankees have employed, which is, fuck the handedness, give me guys who hit monster dongs, that to worry about how they're going to land in the lineup in terms of the righty-lefty split – who fucking gives a shit to some small extents. I I get it. You know, if if it's a difference between one or two spots in the lineup, you know, if you had, if we had a good lefty that could play, that could bat third and no one would complain about it. And then you were playing a lefty uh, pitcher and you decided to swap Stanton for that lefty just for the the game. Okay, cool. Who gives a shit? But I, In a grander sense, I just don't get the idea of those two different strategies which seem so directly opposed to each other, supposing to fit like a glove. And I think that's what's ending up with the Yankees making some weird decisions like clinging to Tyler Wade, um, acquiring Jay Bruce, acquiring Rugnetto-Dor, giving Derek Dietrich a try, because these aren't guys that they've targeted necessarily. These are guys that have left-handed swings that they made themselves available to go get because they decided that they needed a left-handed swing, kind of like post-fact. And I – I clearly there's something there that I don't offhand see because, of course, there is. Um, like, we don't have access to all the stats and information and, and data that the Yankees and other – other big teams do, and I'm not necessarily saying that they're wrong for doing it the way that they're doing it, but the position that I have based on the information I have available to me, I would have the opposite opinion. But again, I'm an uninformed jackass. Who the fuck knows? Uh, Corbin, how's your research going? Uh,
1: I have found a site that will do this for us for free. We will have to input names, uh, credit cards, and slugging by hand. (laughs) Do you want to take like a two-minute break? Just take a time out here, input all of this, and then just cut it out and come back in and talk about it?
0: Let's do it. Cool. All right. We're back. I've never paused in Zoom before. I also kind of didn't realize I could do it until Corwin (laughs) asked if we could pause. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, So, sorry. But anyway, we'll see how that turns out. So we ran the numbers using some site that Corwin found and we're baseball bank- musings baseball musings um just so that we could do this during the show and uh see how it goes so we already read out the two lineups and it was a little bit more recently than corn and I um feel as though it was because we had to do this but anyway oh nice Yankee scored um Corwin yes this this site has it broken down by runs per game for for your given lineup what is your lineups runs per game
1: So, my lineup of LeMayhew, Hicks, Judge, Stanton, Torres, Sanchez, Urshela, Frazier, and Odor would result in a runs per game above, or a runs per game of 5.330.
0: Okay, and my lineup would result in a runs per game. I'll say it again, since you said yours. Uh, Hicks, Judge Stanton, Lemayhu Torres-Sanchez, and Urshela Frazier-Odor is a 53-01 Ooh. runs per game. Now, this also gives um, best and worst lineups based on the above statistics. Mm-hmm. And the best lineup that this gives, now granted, we only put in on base and slugging, that's the only two pieces of information this thing uses. Um, and based on those two statistics, um, it has chosen a best lineup of DJ LeMahieu. Mm-hmm. Sure. Aaron Judge. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Gio Urshela in three. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. Giancarlo Stanton at four. So, so far, three out of four of those first four spots is the Yankees' current lineup, basically. Number five is Glaber Torres. Still makes sense. Gary Sanchez batting sixth. Frazier batting seventh. Odor batting eighth. And then Hicks batting ninth. So this model is clearly <laughs> using the second leadoff hitter phenomenon here. Right. Because the man does it make no sense to do that otherwise. Uh, but yeah, that that is a quite a different look than what the Yankees are currently going with. And granted, this only includes literally two statistics. um, But that is quite an interesting look.
1: Yeah. Listen, like, however they calculate this, whatever algorithm they use, I'm sure it has its own quirks and things that it favors. Um, Urshela and Hicks being essentially, not even switched, but just back and forth like that those are really the only two that stick out everything else is very much you know like we said makes sense is something that wouldn't surprise either of us just um i want to know what the reasoning was behind having urshela so high and to an extent why you would want to have uh hicks uh basically closing out the order
0: i would i would like to read you one of their um one of their best lineups that i think would make every yankees fan mad you want to hear Mm -hmm. it so they have it uh, as being, uh, this is a, for a f- 5.452 runs per game, which is phenomenal. Um, Aaron Judge leading off. Giancarlo Stanton batting second. Aaron Hicks batting third. <laughs> Gary Sanchez batting fourth. Torres sixth. Frazier seventh. Urshela eighth. Odor. Oh, sorry. I missed a, a spot somewhere this Sorry. Sanchez fourth. Torres fifth. Frazier sixth. Urshela seventh. Odor eighth. LeMayhew ninth. So that's Judge Stanley, leading off, right. that's Hicks in the in the two-hole, Sanchez, Sanchez batting fourth, sorry, three-hole, Sanchez batting fourth, Lemayhu batting ninth. <laughs> oh, man, Frazier batting ahead of Urshela. There's a whole bunch of weird shit in here.
1: Now, just out of curiosity, can you give me uh, Luke Voigt's statistics for on-base percentage and slugging? just so we could see the difference when he gets healthy and, and they move this lineup around?
0: Uh, sure thing. So in that situation, I think it would be pretty easy to assume that Rugnet Odor would drop off and you'd slot um, DJ back over at second to accommodate Voigt going back to first. So that mm-hmm. means we can effectively, which I'm sure is what you're going to do, um, but that means we can effectively get rid of Rugnet Odor from this lineup entirely and add in Luke Voigt. Whose career on base percent is three six three, and his career slugging percent is five two seven. As Corwin crunches the numbers.
1: Yes. Now, I will say in this scenario, I'd probably keep the back end roughly the same and probably slide in Voight somewhere around five or six, uh, sliding you know the rest of those guys down. Um, but because I don't want to have to redo everything, I'm putting him in the nine hole. So I'm not going to worry about where this ends up. Having him in the nine hole bumps this up to a 5.566. So that's already a huge jump. Their number one lineup would be Judge Voigt at two, LaMahue, Stanton, Torres, Sanchez, Frazier, Urshela, Hicks. Um, just looking at this here, the one that would probably make the most sense, uh, for both Yankees fans, the both of us would be their number three with LeMahieu, Judge, Torres, Stanton, Voight, Sanchez, Frazier, Urshela, Hicks. By all means, that sounds like a fairly normal lineup to you. That's, you know, you could picture any of that. Uh, that would be a 5.688 runs per game average which is a pretty huge jump. That's that's a 3.50 jump from where we were with um with Odor in the lineup.
0: I do have to say though, I'm highly skeptical because the worst lineup you can run out, they say still garners you 5.071 runs per game. And it's like I with get With
1: Odor that, in the lineup not for
0: you. Yes, with Odor batting leadoff, which uh love it. Um and I get that like, you know, Lineup orientation can only add so much, and I'm sure this is kind of what that is showing. At the same time, that's still really high, and with so many plate appearances lost to this lineup that they're showing that has Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge batting ninth and eighth, respectively. Um, which would be murder. Um, murder. Um, I, I have to imagine that it's more impactful than, um. runs per game? Zero point three nine. Zero
1: point four?
0: Yeah, it's what the difference between the worst lineup
1: oh not five oh seven. My bad, my bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Not point zero
1: four. At the end of the day, you know, I feel like I would use this more as a, a comparative tool rather than all right basing how many runs the yankees should be scoring every kind of game and rather be like all right what where are we maximizing you know run scoring potential things like that and unless we don't know anything behind this tool it's a free tool that we found googling in 15 seconds um at the end of the day it is what it is i'm sure we'll play around with things like this in the future because Boy, this was a lot of fun for the five minutes that we've been doing this. Um, but yeah, it, this is just cool to see.
0: It really is. It, it is interesting to see how line of construction can affect the outcome, even if it is a tool that we're not super hardcore trusting. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of, of Draft stuff today, but this ended up taking a lot of time, and now I don't think we're gonna do that, so we'll just save that for Thursday. I'm not um, worried about it. Yeah, that's not a big deal. This was fun. Uh, do you have anything else to say before we skedaddle out of here?
1: Yankees figure out a way to get Roofnetodor, door off your team.
0: Oh. Mm, trade for Trevor Story. <laughs> Please. Please. see how much money they'll give you to take him. I mean, they gave 50 million for Nolan Arenado. Maybe they'll give us $30 million to take Trevor. You're not wrong. I mean, if they're, they're giving out good players and cash, let's get in on that. It's, let's stand in the free money line.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: They're handing out money at the money store today. Let's go get some money. <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, then if you ain't got nothing else to say, then you can follow the show. On Twitter at Juicing Pot. You can follow Corwin on Twitter at Corwin Heller. And you can follow me on Twitter at Joshua D. Tracy. If you want to send us emails, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Thursday, when we talk about some draft shit, y'all have a good one.
1: Bye.